Good morning, everyone. Wow, three of you are here. That's awesome. I appreciated this week, I appreciated Lindsay's post on Facebook about the Jedi, the whole Jedi thing. Thank you so much. But, but I want to make clear I, I prefer The Last Samurai. Okay, just so that. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I apologize. But I'm not going to let you in on it. Well, we are actually going to finish this series today. I know, I know. It's the series that continued on. But you know what? It makes sense because this is the seventh, and the seventh is the number of completion. (laughs) So we will complete it today. And, and it's funny how God does things because this never was supposed to even be a series. Um, and I think it turned out to be the longest series so far, anyways. But um, uh, we've been talking about unity and we've been talking about how that applies to this, this global awakening, this, this global um, resurgence of the Bride of Christ. You know, this, this unification of the Bride of Christ in a global state, in a global manner. And, and anybody who has their eyes open at all sees that things around us are changing. You know, and, and now there, there are two types of people in the world, right? There are people that like change, and there are people that don't like change. There are people that, that change, whether it's for the better or the worse... They, they can't even get that far yet because change period is different than what they're used to and that, that's difficult for them. And then there are other people when there isn't change, that's difficult for them. And, and they look at it like, you know, I, I've been sitting in this situation for so long I'm getting stir crazy. Right? I don't know what kind of person you are. I, I tend to, to be the type that loves change. Um, I tend to get stir-crazy when there isn't change. And, and so, so the change in the world and the change in our church and the change in the Bride of Christ, you know, to me is really exciting. But I understand how that can also be a really scary time. It could be a really difficult time. And when you think about this on a global scale, when you think about all the things we've been talking about for weeks and really for months about this, this coming revival, that could be a scary thing when you think about it because it's really difficult to picture how we interact in a situation like that. I don't know about you, but, but I've been in ministry for 25 years. Now, I, I've, I was called full-time ministry only a couple of years ago, but even before that, I, I mean, that's why I own my own business, so I could be in, in ministry as much as possible. And oftentimes it was basically full-time, even though I was never on staff or anything else. And, and so I've seen the changes. I've seen the trends. I've seen, but one thing I've seen consistently in all the churches that I've been a part of and all the pastors that I've known is one thing. We don't seem to play well together. We just don't. All churches tend to want to grab onto their own. I, I can't exactly explain why, because it's not that way in the Word of God, of course, but that's how it is in our culture. 
And it's not just in American culture. It's everywhere I've been. You know, it's, it's the same in Nigeria. It's the same in Ghana when I was there. It's the same in Mexico as I've worked down there for five years. It, they just, they care about their own, and they care about growing their own. And, and there's this, I, I almost have to believe that God has allowed this to fester for years and years and years until it became time for it to change. Because the, the enemy clearly is in the fact that he deunifies or disunification, I is that even a word? I don't know. But, but does not, you know, keeps the body from unifying globally. Why? Because if we were unified globally, the bride would already be ready, and Jesus would just go ahead and have to come and get us. Why? Because we're ready. So I think that has been one of the greatest tools of Satan, is to keep the body, the overall body of Christ, not unified. And, and in fact, and oftentimes against each other. That's crazy. You know, I, and, and now I'm talking about the one thing we unify around, and let me be clear about this, is Jesus Christ, and he is the only way to heaven. Accepting Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior. Realizing that he became a man, died on the cross for our sins, lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the grave, paid for our sin, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And our only way to be with him in eternity is not to live a good life. It's got nothing to do with that. It is simply accepting, believing those things that I just said, and accepting him into our heart as Savior. Okay, that is the unification right there. It doesn't mean that the bride will be unified on every little doctrine that they believe. You know, I, I don't think that will ever happen, even when the bride is ready. Even when Jesus comes to take the bride home, that won't be the case. Why? Because he created us individuals. He created us with, with these minds that, that you know, we, we don't think the same. We apply it to our own culture. We, we apply it to the knowledge we know. However, the real bridge there is learning how to work with each other, even though we may have some different doctrines. Now, there are certain doctrines that I would call black and white in the Bible. There are certain doctrines that, that, that really are not debatable. Okay, baptism is one that's pretty clear in the Bible. You know, when the Ethiopian eunuch, he was, he was saved, Philip, they were walking down the road, and Philip's leading him to the Lord, and he accepts Jesus, and he said, he said well, there, there's a river right there. Is there anything keeping me from being baptized right now? Philip said, no, let's go. They jump in the river, he baptizes them. Okay, there are things in the Bible that are clear. There are other things in the Bible that might be clear to you or clear to me, but not clear to everybody in the bride, in, in the body of Christ. So does that mean you don't fellowship with them? Does that mean you don't, you don't uh, work with them? You don't, they're not part of the family anymore? No, that, that's not it. Okay, we're called to unity. 
We're called to working together. I can give a perfect example of that, and we've talked about this many times. You know, I, I, I spent the first 40 years of my salvation as a cessationist, one who did not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one who did not believe that the Holy Spirit would actually speak to me, until he did. Well, actually, I believed it before that. That's, I think, why he did. But I didn't believe in that for 40 years of my 43 years of salvation. Okay, does that mean that back then I would not associate with people that believed in that? I thought they were kooky. I thought that I I had nothing in common. They were strange. They were weird. Now being on the other side, I can verify the fact that, yes, we are. We are strange (laughs) and we are weird. And that's okay. However, I would not associate with them before. Why? Because I had to keep myself pure. I had to keep myself pure, my doctrine pure, about how I might be influenced, I suppose. I, I don't know. I, I think for me, it just <laughs> bottom line, it was easier not to like them. It was easier just to stay away. It was easier not to have to explain why I didn't believe that. Okay, but now being on the other side of that, do you know it would be just as wrong for me to say that, well, I I can't really associate with you because you don't believe in the gifts, or or I can't even not associate, okay, because most of our family believes in that on, on certain sides, but what about actually doing things together, actually doing church things together? You know, I can't, on this side of it, decide that we're not going to do that. Because we have the one thing in common that we need to have in common. And that is that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the way to heaven. He is the the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes unto the Father but by Him. We all believe that. It makes us all His children. So so as we've gone back, and I, I've said this so many times, I'm going to say it one more time for, for you guys that are so tired of hearing this, but Revelation 3, verse 9, right, says that there is going to be a time before Jesus comes to take his bride home, there's going to be a time where the world will bow at the feet of the bride where the world will see the honor that Jesus has placed on his bride. It's at that time, it's at that time that the bride is ready. And Jesus comes back, and he takes his bride home. That's not going to happen without unity. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why the unity is so difficult, even amongst pastors, amongst people that should get this, but don't. And it, it, long, long before I became a pastor, when I was a worship leader, I, I probably, I've met at least 50 pastors in, in right around this area, in, in the Delaware area. area. And, and outside of the ones that, that believed exactly how we believed, it was very difficult to do things together. Do you understand this has got to change? And it's got to change beginning somewhere. So because we can't control anybody else, we can control us. You know, we can have 
decisions in our church not to be that way, but to unify with the body of Christ, to work together toward this unification of the bride. See, that's what's going to happen on a global scale. You know, we might be talking about this a little bit ahead of the curve, or I don't even know, because, you know, we don't know everything going on out there. But I can tell you this, that all this change you're seeing in the world, this is going to be one of them. You're going to see the body of Christ begin to work together. And, and here's what you're going to see, that those who decide not to work together are going to be set aside as a church. They're going to become ineffective. See, that's not been the case yet. You know, when, when, I, when I grew up, um, I, I'll think the, the first church that Alex and I were a part of when we got married was a legalistic church. That's where we were at. That's, that's who we were at that time. And, and yet, people got saved there. Okay, people got saved there. I, I, would, I would dare say, no, it was a big church. There were probably 1,300 or so, 12 or 1,300 in the church. But people got saved there every week. So it wasn't a matter of the gospel being preached. The gospel was preached. People got saved. Lives were changed. That was a good thing. It, it, it's not a matter of that being a good thing. But when you do not desire to unite with the rest of the body, it's going to be different now moving forward. It's going to be different as we're going into the, the time frame that Jesus Christ is readying his bride all that's going to begin to change. If you don't unite with the bride of Christ as a church, what's going to happen is you're going to become less effective, less and less effective. And it's not about salvation, please, please understand. It's not about your destination, it's about your fruit. Remember, I think it was two weeks ago we talked about how, how Jesus in, in John, I think it's John 15, how, how Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, okay? And the Father comes in and prunes those that he sees some fruit in. You know, he begins to prune them, begins to strip away the things that, that take the resources but aren't necessary. That's what pruning is. Pruning is painful, okay? But then he also does something else to those branches who he doesn't see fruit on, cuts them off. He cuts them off and he throws them in a pile. Okay, this is an application to us as saved Christians. Okay, it doesn't mean we become unsaved at that point. We're still saved. It, become, it means that we're not being used. It means that our life is not going to produce fruit because the Father is not pruning us anymore. Everything you see in the Word of God outside of the first part of salvation, which is our justification, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, it's 100% grace. It is everything He did for us, right? Everything. You look, you look at it, and it, tell me if I'm wrong, because if I'm wrong, I want to see it. I haven't seen it in 43 years, so good luck. Everything from that next breath on has to be led by you. Your willingness. Jesus said, take a step unto me and I will take a step unto you. He doesn't force us to do anything. 
He did everything on the cross for us. He purchased our lives. But then beyond that, this thing we call sanctification, our life, our intimacy with Jesus Christ, that is led by us. That is our choice. That is something we can choose to grow deeper in, or we can choose to pull back. We don't lose our salvation. Praise God. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. So we don't lose any of that. But what we lose is that fruit. What we lose is God pruning us to produce more fruit. That's the loss. Okay? That is what he is waiting for us to take the step in doing. So, again, as the bride of Christ begins to unify, he's going to look for people and look for churches that he sees some fruit in. And he begins to prune, so he sees more fruit. And I think part of that fruit is us being willing to work together. Us being willing to, I mean, you look in this room here, we're not all the same here. I mean, we're all different here, and we seem to get along pretty well, right? I mean, there's a few of you I don't like, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, we get along pretty well here, but yet we're all different. And, and I bet if we went around and asked everybody, I bet that there's a lot of beliefs that are different here, too. I would not begin to assume you, you all believe everything I believe, or that I believe everything you believe. But yet we work together. In, in fact, we're a tight-knit family. We're, we're a close, unified family. So it works. We, we've seen it work on a small scale. And what Jesus is saying is when the bride is ready, it will work on a global scale. It will work on a complete scale because he's not just bring, coming down to get his one individual pocket of believers. When he comes... It's because the bride as a whole is ready. That's all of us. So all these changes that you see going on, don't be afraid of them. Kind of back to what I was saying at the very beginning. Some, some people don't like change. Some people do like change. Some people like change, but they see it going away that they don't want to change, and they don't like that. <clears throat> Trust him. Trust him what he's doing. Handle the one thing that you have control over. And that is your intimacy with Jesus Christ. Do you know you can't control anything else in your life? You could try. You know, you could try and control other people. You could control your wife. You can control your kids. You can control, you know, if you're a boss, you could control your employees. Or you think you can. And you could try to do that. It doesn't last very long. Or you could give control over to him. Because the one thing you can control is your intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's why he said, take a step to me and I'll take a step to you. So, so you can kind of interpret that to say, okay, well, Jesus, what if, what if I take a leap toward you? Will you leap toward me? What if I run to you? Will you run to me? What if I want to accelerate this thing, this this intimacy relationship with you. Can I accelerate that? And he's just sitting back saying, yeah, run, come. Whatever pace you want to take in your relationship with him, he will take you. 
But be prepared for that too. Because again, we, we get kind of caught in these, in these tunnel vision moments where, where you know, I think, well, intimacy is going to look like this. And, and this is, I, I'm telling you from experience over the last few years, as God has opened himself up to me, I, I ran to him. I said, okay, Lord, I, clearly there is something there that I didn't know, this, this relationship with you. you. You actually talk back. That was huge to me. It, it's like, it's like, I won't tell that story. It, it, it's, it's like, you're almost like a real person. God, you're like, you're, it's like you're real or something. You know? And he is. When I realized that, I just, I just ran. I just ran and I, I got this tunnel vision thinking, this is the picture of what it's going to look like. When I run to him, it's going to be just this awesome and, and, Boom, I'm going to know him, I'm going to see him, we're going to talk, and he's going to talk back, and, and I'm going to know everything that he needs me to know, and, and I'm going to just be in this bliss. And it's going to be awesome. And then I hit this time where he doesn't say anything. And, and see, now I'm used to him saying something. It's kind of like a friend that won't answer the phone. Doesn't that bug you? It's like, seriously, pick up the phone. Okay, Alexa will do that to me sometimes. <laughs> Sorry, I have the microphone, so you can't say anything right now. <laughs> See, if, if, if she knows one thing will bug me is when somebody doesn't respond when I talk. You know, and I'm calling her. Okay, I'll call the home line. Okay, that doesn't work. I'll call her cell again. She's probably on the phone. Well, if I keep calling her, it'll bug her enough. To finally answer, and I don't care if she's mad, because it's her problem. <laughs> then I'm texting her. Now, the one thing I haven't used it, and I won't say that, because I'll hold that for one day, and I can use it. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but, it, but it's like when, when, when I reach out and somebody doesn't reach back to me, it's frustrating. See, it's no different with God. And, and I remember the first time he took me through that where, where, you know, we have this intimacy and we're just talking back and forth and he's revealing things and he's, he's sharing with me and I, I'm just so in love with him and, and I ask him for more and he's silent. It's like, hello, God, are you still there? Are you still talking? Are, are you, did I do something wrong? What, what did I do, Lord? How come you're not speaking with me? And he does that on purpose. See, he does that on purpose because the one thing, he has one goal. He has one goal in this intimacy. There's only one thing that makes it work. And it's what we're talking about today. It's faith. Faith is the very vehicle that he uses to produce that intimacy. But see, it doesn't take any faith. Like, like if Peter and I are developing a relationship and we're talking in person and he can see my reactions and I can, I can read him and everything, it doesn't take any faith to see what we're saying back and forth. However, when I'm not with him 
It takes faith for me to believe what might be on his mind or how he might be feeling about me. Or, or what, what we're supposed to do together or whatever. See, it's no different with God. With God, it's, it's the same thing. He requires, and God even more so, because he, he's, he's not necessarily manifesting in the physical. You know, when you, when you pray, you're praying to him, you become so intimately connected, but it's different, obviously, in a physical way. I, I can't read Jesus' expressions. Right? I, I can't look at his face and, and wonder, okay, is he angry? Is he funny? Is he joking right now? Or, you know, like you can with a person. And I didn't think that was even possible until you draw close to him. Then you realize that there are ways that you could tell. There are ways that you, you have to learn that relationship with him. You can't learn that without faith. You can't learn faith without him being silent. We go through these silent times, and, and they are some of the most excruciating times. You know, I've shared with you that in, in this walk, and especially with the young people for the last two and a half years, I, I, I said that I would always be transparent in, in what I'm going through so that you can learn from what I do. And, and it's no different now. See, see, right now, there's a silent time for me. There's a time where, that I'm in right now where he is building my faith. He is, he is asking me, are you going to trust me in this? I've already told you these things. Are you going to trust what I said? Are you going to trust me no matter what, even if I'm silent to you, even if I'm not giving confirmations to you? I've already done that. Now I need you to have faith. Why? Because the faith is the fuel. You can have all the trust that you want. You can have all the plan that you want. It's like having a great car. You can have the most awesome car in the world. But if you don't have any gas put in it, it really doesn't do you a whole lot of good. I mean, unless you just want to live in it, I suppose. That's what faith is. If your life with Jesus Christ is this amazing, intimate thing and, and beautiful and, and, and it, it has all these functioning things and you have no faith or you have little faith, you're going nowhere with it. That's why at every step of the way, Jesus takes us through these times where he's silent. These times where he builds our faith. These times where he wants us to apply what we just prayed for. You know, you, you've heard the adage, don't pray for something unless you're really, really ready to go through it. Goodness, I, I have made it a point in my life never to pray for patience. <laughs> because you know that's the first thing you're going to be tested in. Now, see, the rotten deal part of that is he did it anyways. He said, well, that's fine. If you're not going to pray for it, I'm, I'm going to still teach it to you. Why? Because that's a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Patience, long-suffering. We're, we're here to be patient on what the Lord's doing. We have to trust Him. The more you grow in your faith, the more you give it that, that fuel. And, and by the way, there are different types of fuel. Any, anybody in here that, 
that knows about racing knows there are way different types of fuel that you could put in a vehicle, all the way up to a highly tuned race engine that takes high, high octane fuel, you know, this, this purest octane fuel, and it, it makes it run faster, it makes it run better. It makes it be able to do the things it was built to do. See, it's no different with your faith. You were built for something. Every one of you. Every one of you is called to something. God has a calling on your life. He has to prepare that right fuel to make it happen. To get you to where you need to be to function in the bride of Christ the way he needs you to function. And oftentimes, that's a difficult process. See, right now, we, we've been waiting. We've had a word from the Lord that, uh, just to give you an example, most everybody knows in here, that Carson is going to be healed. But yet we've been waiting for it. We, we've been wondering, Lord, why, why not yet? You know, I so badly wanted him to be healed before creation. Uh, we still have that opportunity because early team leaves tomorrow, but then the lady, later team leaves Wednesday. And Brent even told me, well, well, if he's healed while you're up there, we could just bring him up there. <laughs> so, so, so Brent, if you're watching, I'm holding you to this. <laughs> but yet he puts us in this holding pattern. And what we don't realize is that a holding pattern is really the working of his will. That's really where the power is generated. If we didn't have this holding pattern, we wouldn't see the power of who he is. Because one, he is building in us this fuel, this faith, that is going to be required to go through the next step. But two, on the other side of it, he is also positioning things around each one of us that needs to be there so that when our faith is, is there and, and he activates in us his will, those dominoes are in the right position. See, this, this is why God is a mastermind. Can you imagine? I mean, I can't imagine doing it with 10 people, let alone doing it with billions of people. Can you imagine God having a specific will with all these people that have their own will? <laughs> it's like crazy. You know, it, 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 it really boggles the mind, the patience that God has. And, and the strategic planning that he has, because any one of those things deciding to do their own thing changes the aspect for that person. Now, thank the Lord he knows everything from beginning to end. Thank the Lord that, that he does not have our deficiencies. Otherwise, honestly, he'd probably just... Yeah, just let me know when you get up here. I'm tired of dealing with you. <laughs> because we're all independent. We all have our own thoughts. But see, unity comes the more of us that begin to seek the mind of Christ. To have our mind fashioned with his mind. The more we will operate 
as this well-oiled machine. And I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about the full bride of Christ. And all of a sudden, it won't be about getting your own. I, I, don't, I don't know. Like when I go through Acts, I don't see anything in there about getting my own, about building our own thing. Now, granted, it was just beginning then. I get that. You know, they didn't have all the different doctrines. They didn't have all that. They didn't have that, that heavy load, extra load that we have now. But there were also many things that they didn't have that we do have. But bottom line is this unification is going to happen. It has to happen. And it's going to be fueled by faith. So let's talk about faith for, for a minute. Turn to the faith chapter, is what it's called, but Hebrews 11. And we're going to go through some of this. <coughs> Unity is rooted in faith, but what is faith? Okay, let's read Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, it's the assurance of things hoped for. The, the Greek word there is hypostasis, which is confidence to stand or abide. So I have the confidence for the things that I am hoping for. These things that God has told me, these things that he has told me in, in his word, you can take a promise, okay, you can take this, even this promise of salvation, this promise that, that when you accept Jesus Christ, you are saved, you will not lose your salvation. You can take that promise and you have the assurance of that or the confidence to stand or abide in that hope. And then the second part of it is the conviction of things not seen. The Greek there for conviction is elegos, which is proof or evidence. Okay, so basically, let's reread that then, putting the, the, the meanings in there. Now, faith is the confidence to stand or abide in things hoped for. It is also the proof or evidence of things not seen. See, faith is not just a shot in the dark. Faith is, the, is something that, that can be as strong as you want to allow it to be. Let me give you an example. We all know that gravity exists, right? Okay? We can't see gravity, but we can test gravity. We could see the results of gravity. We could see the evidence or the proof of gravity, right? We can have confidence to stand or abide in the fact that there is gravity. Why? Because I, I'm still standing here. I'm not flying up into the air. Right? How about the wind? Same thing. You can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. You can feel the effects of the wind. You can't see it, however, but you know it's there. That's the evidence of something you can't see. You see, God's no different than that. We cannot see him. It doesn't mean that you cannot have faith that he's there. 
because you see the effects of God. When I see somebody, I'll use an example. A good friend of mine, and this, this has been maybe five years ago, he got saved, and I saw the most dramatic change in a person's life than I've ever seen. Just completely on fire for God. And before that, completely in the world and all for himself. It was a dramatic change. Okay, could I see God working? Could I see God physically, you know, holding his hand and working it? No. I have faith that God worked in his hand. Why? Or, or worked in his life. Why? Because I saw the effects on his life. I saw that his life changed. I saw that in my own life. You could think of your own life when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Or, or even times when, it, like, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't have this dramatic testimony. I, I, you know, I was a drug dealer and I killed everybody and I was a Satan worshiper. And, and then I got saved and my life is different now. And I'm, I don't have that kind of testimony. I grew up in a Christian home. I, I knew nothing but God. You know, I wasn't allowed to choose anything but God. <laughs> and, and I didn't want to because that's all I knew. I, w- I was raised to know Jesus as my Savior. And when I was nine years old, I accepted him as my Savior. It's the same with our kids. You know, my, my, my daughter Yvonne and daughter Brooke, they know but more Bible verses than I do before they were three years old. That's how they were raised. They were raised to know Jesus Christ. So, so it isn't a matter of, uh, you know, I didn't have this dramatic testimony or anything else. So as I grew up, I knew God was real. I saw the effects of it. I saw his, his, his working through his word in my life. But when I decided, when I saw that he offered more than what I knew for 40 years. Everything changed for me. It wasn't that he manifest himself to me. It, it wasn't that, that all of a sudden now, you know, he, he shows up in physical form and we hang out and we talk. By the way, Jesus, that would be really cool, just so you know. It wasn't about that. It was about the fact that he had built my faith because I had... I just ran to him. I wanted more from him. And, and he ran back to me. He manifests himself to me in an intimate way to, through his word, through him speaking to me. And, and he showed me the evidence of what I couldn't see. So I couldn't see what he was doing, but I could feel what he was doing. And I saw the evidence of what he was doing because my life changed. My life changed with this intimacy that he was placing in me. And and then it just flipped upside down. You know, expect radical change in your heart when you run to Jesus Christ. And don't let that make you afraid. Because it's the most amazing thing in the world. I mean, you want, all of us want friends. All of us want 
closeness with other people. Imagine having that closeness with God. Imagine having a relationship with God where, where two become one. Where, where you have this intimacy to where you know what he's thinking. He already knows what we're thinking. But do you know it's possible to know what he's thinking? Paul says we're to have the mind of Christ. It doesn't mean memorize the whole word of God, so now you have all the knowledge of Christ. What it means is draw close to him in intimacy. And the more you do that, the more you learn who he is, and you become similar. As Alexa and I have been married now going on, is it 28 years? 28 years, something like that. I do remember the date, just so everybody knows. She probably doesn't remember the date, but I do. But as, as we got to know each other, as we've lived together, as we've been, been best friends for so long, you, you, you mold together in such a way, you don't lose your individuality, but, but you start thinking alike in many ways. Now, I'm not saying every way, because you, you remain individuals. God, God, God keeps you who he made you to be, but you become molded to each other. That's what Paul means with having the mind of Christ. You become intimate with Jesus Christ, so you know what he is thinking. You know what he wants in your life. You know, our goal should be that every word that comes out of our mouths is from him. And not that we're just standing there like some puppet. That's not what he means. What he means is that your mind is so molded with the will of God, molded with who Jesus Christ is, that what, what, you come, what comes out of your mouth, from your mind, from your heart, is of him. That's what he wants. That's intimacy. It requires faith to build that. And huge faith. And he doesn't just thrust it all on you at once. We couldn't handle that. He does it in pieces. That's why when he's silent, he's never silent forever. He's only silent for a time. He's silent till we get the fact that we're to believe in what he's doing, in what he said, in what he promised. I'm sure if I went, went through each one of you in here, each one of you would have a story where you stepped out on faith and you weren't sure how it was going to end. But God came through, and, and, and he took you through that. And from that, you can now look back on it and say, he did it. See, that was the evidence of things unseen. You can apply that to today. I, I remember when Alex and I decided to, you know, when we were called to go into full-time ministry, we weren't going into anything. It wasn't like we had a job offer or anything else, but God told us to get rid of the business. And I've told you this story, and we did it. And, and, and I remember, it might have been a month after that, that when we got rid of everything, Alexis came to me at one point, and she, she said, you know, and obviously finances were tight. 
she said, should, should we pray about this? You know, let's pray about this as a family. And I, I remember distinctly saying, no, God already promised. We don't need to pray for this. We can thank him for it. And why did I have that confidence? It's because I had been through that before. Because when 9-11 hit, we had a, a transportation company. And when 9-11 hit, we had 95% of our transportation was corporate work. And it was mostly MB&A up here. And then we also had some accounts in New York City. As a matter of fact, two, two accounts uh, were in the Twin Towers. One account, we lost all but one person that we knew. They were on the 82nd floor of Tower 2. And, and, and so we, we went, literally, we dropped 90% in business overnight. You know, doing a million dollars a year to literally nothing. But yet the bills didn't stop. You know, none of that stopped. And, and I remember at the time just being overwhelmed. God, God I, believe, I, I don't believe you want me to lay all these people off. I mean, in hindsight, I probably should have. Would have saved us about a half a million dollars. But I didn't. I didn't believe that that's what the Lord wanted. And, and so we began to pray. You know, for six months, we went into this just horrendous debt, just covering the losses to the tune of about sixty to $70,000 a month in this business. And, and we began to pray, Lord, you know, what do you want us to do? And, and I, I just, I just knew he wanted us to, to go after this. It, it was, it was a, a loan that they were doing for those who were affected by 9-11. Now, we didn't qualify. We went to them and, and, and we wanted this loan to, to get us over this hump, to, to move us through so we could get back to normal. And we didn't qualify because we weren't in one of the affected areas. You either had to be in those buildings, your business, or you had to be part of the airlines, okay, which were obviously greatly affected as well. And we were neither. We applied the first time. They said no. And, and I felt the Lord telling me, this is what I want. So apply again. We applied a second time. They said no. And we're now to a desperate place. And yet I knew this is what God wanted. I knew, now I didn't know, looking back on it now, I know he, he did this to teach me a lesson. He wanted me to have faith in him providing. And so he said, he said I want you to ask one more time. I want you to, and, and keep in mind, it's different back then. It wasn't like he physically spoke to me and said that to me. He, he showed me in his word. I felt it in my heart. This is what I'm supposed to do. We're supposed to do this one more time. This is literally our only option. So their offices uh, for the SBA uh, disaster relief loan is out of Niagara Falls. And so we went up there and I applied a third time. And we just, we stood there in the lobby of the building. And the guy said, you know, we said, can we see somebody about this? He said, no, you're, you're not allowed to be here. We don't see people. We don't allow any emotion to get into it. We can't because we have to make these decisions on black and white. And I said, okay. I said, well, will you at least take this application? He said, yeah, I'll take the application. 
And he said, it, it might be, you know, a week or whatever. We'll, we'll get back to you. I said, well, we'll be here. I said, we're going to be here in this lobby every day. I said, how, how far can I go? He, said, he, he wouldn't let us pass those, the, the metal detector things. I said, okay, well, we'll just be right here. I said, here's where we're staying. Here's my number. You, you get a hold of it. Well, you're not going to see anybody. You know, if, if that works out, you know, let me know. We'll, we're just going to be here because I know we're supposed to do this. Well, it, I can't remember. It was maybe three days. Three days of going there every day, and this guy walking by us when he goes to work. It's like, okay, I guess the guy was serious. We see him every morning. Finally, I get a phone call, and okay, they're going to see us. They're, gonna, they're willing to let us go up there, and we weren't even allowed to do that. And I remember we go up there, and we meet with this person, and, and we're telling him about, you know, what happened. And, and I can't remember exactly what I said, but I remember <laughs> saying something to the, because this was my, my statement of faith. I said, this is what God wants us to do. Well, we, we left that interview. I, I think they really only gave us that just so we'd leave the lobby. But we finally left, and, and I said, we're not leaving here till we get an answer. And, and so we went back to the, to the uh, hotel, and, and basically they called and said, you're approved. And the person even said, I don't know how in the world you got approved. But you got approved. So God got us over that hump. God taught me a lesson that when he says he'll provide, he means it. And we can trust in that. So fast forward, you know, what, 15 years, or, well, whatever it was two years ago. Fast forward, and, and God tells us to close the business, and he says, trust me, I'm going to provide for you. I know there's no position for you. I know there's no salary for you, but I'm going to provide for you. Trust me. So we trust him. Why? Because we have the evidence of something we can't see, but the evidence of something he has done. Think about that in your own life. Because in your own life, you have evidences of what God has done in your life. And right now, every one of you is facing something that's requiring faith. No matter where you're at in your walk with him, you're facing something that is requiring faith. We have a lot of young people in here. It, it might be... Even that, Lord, what am I to do with my life? You know, what direction do you want me to do? Or to go? What do you want me to study? What do, you, what do you want me to do at school? You know, what do you want me to say to that teacher who, who keeps saying there is no God, and we all came from some amoeba thing or something? <laughs> do they even still teach that? It take, now, you want to talk about faith. <laughs> Maybe they ought to teach us a thing about faith. Because it takes a lot more faith to believe in evolution than it does God. But each one of you is facing something in your life that God wants to show you through by faith. So it's the evidence of what's happened in your past. God is a God of process. He does not just heap everything on you. If, if I had known, before I even started pursuing him, if I had known everything that he was going to put me through up till now, 
I don't know that I would have done it. Right? I mean, think about it, really. You know, if, if this is the result, God, you know what? I, I was feeling pretty good just building houses, you know, and doing leading worship. That, that was pretty comfortable for me. I enjoyed that. But that's why he takes you step by step by step. And in all those steps, he just asks for one thing. Trust him. Trust what he says. Because if you seek intimacy with him, you cannot get it any other way. You cannot draw close to him without faith. You cannot draw close to him without believing him. Without trusting him. Without verbally saying, when he is silent, Lord, I trust you. See, I don't know why Carson isn't healed yet. Because we have that word that he's going to be healed. All I could say is, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Because I know that everything you do is good. I have seen evidence of what you've done. I've seen evidence of your power. And this is nothing, quite frankly, God. This is nothing for you to do. It doesn't even take much to have trust in this. Because I know the power that you have. I've seen it. That's the evidence of things not seen. And just like it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the confidence to stand in or abide. So I have the confidence to stand and abide and sit right here waiting for him in full faith. In full faith. I have that confidence to abide in him. I have that assurance. I have that conviction or that proof of evidence because why? He's done it in the past. I've seen in the word of God what he's done. I've seen what he's done in my own life. I've seen what he's done in my wife's life. I've seen what he's done in other people's lives. If you think about it in your own life, he has shown you evidence of faith. Even if you're a brand new Christian, there is evidence out there to see of, of, of having faith in him. Knowing that he will do what he says he's going to do. You know, I, 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 love, I love Beth so much. When I think of faith, I think of Beth. And what she said is she's been diagnosed with cancer. And her response was, God has his will in this. He told her she's going to get through it, so he has a reason. She doesn't know what that reason is, but she believes it's good. And you know what? I believe it too. That's faith. But why do we believe that? Because we've seen evidence of it. We've seen evidence in other situations where what looks like Satan is trying to do something, God turns that whole thing around for good. What Satan intends for evil, God intends for good. The application of that verse is when it's something that we don't do. By the way, that doesn't mean that, that well, I'll just choose to do evil because you're going to make good out of it, God. You know, I'm going to choose to rob a bank because then you'll make it all right. You'll, that's not what that verse means. 
You can't choose to sin and then just apply that verse. Well, God will make it all good anyways. No, it's, it's when things happen that are out of our control. See, we have a real enemy that's fighting us. And when things happen that are out of our control, Satan, meaning something for bad on our lives, God steps in and he makes it good. See, I believe 1,000% that this is going to be one of the greatest testimonies in Beth's life and her whole family. And it's going to take them all, and by the way, all of us, we get to see this same thing. We get to see the evidence that's going to be produced from this and apply it to our own lives. When you see a person go through something difficult, you can apply that to your own life by faith. See, I have, I have faith that this is going to happen. Why? Because I, I saw my friend here go through the same thing, and the same God who they believe in is who I believe in, did it for them, so he'll do it for me. That's abiding in that assurance. That's the proof or evidence of something you can't see. You can't see what he's doing in your life, but it doesn't mean he's not doing anything. And when he's silent, don't assume that he is not doing anything. Unless he's silent because of sin. That's different. When you pull away from him from sin, you can't expect to hear him. It's kind of like putting a muzzle on God. When you sin, you take his ability to talk to you away. Because of that intimacy is broken. That intimacy can no longer be there. Why? Because for God to be intimate with us, for Him to be there with us, we can't have something between us. Does that make sense? So, so when it's not sin, when this, this silence happens because God promised you something and now all of a sudden... It's not happening yet, and he's not saying anything, and God, I need more info. <laughs> he's just saying, trust me. Believe me. Trust me. We've been saying for a long time, our church is on the edge of an explosion. And I'm not talking about people-wise. I mean, that too, but it's not about that. It's about explosion of his power. Explosion of his grace. And when we go through the silent times, it doesn't mean his mind changed. It doesn't mean he decided, well, you know what, I thought about it and decided not to now. No. He's saying for this explosion to be effective on what I need it to be effective for, you've got to have faith. So I need to bring you to a place as individuals and as a church to have faith in what I am about to do. Because then when it happens, I can use you. I can use you freely how I need to use you. Because there's a dying world out there. We, we have this work here. We've, we've started this work in Nigeria. We've got seven places in the world that we're called to. 
a lot of work to do. You can imagine the amount of faith that that's going to require on all of us. So he's taking us through these steps to build our faith. Let him do it. Trust him in your own life. When he's silent to you, just say out loud so the enemy hears it. Say, I trust you, Lord. I do that all the time. Because one thing is it tells the enemy he's not winning. And it tells the Lord that even though I don't see it, I have full faith because I have evidence of that which I don't see. And I trust you, Lord, no matter what. You are my God. And I will trust you until I breathe my last breath. Let's pray.